You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Stop touching mask. Alan Seiler. Everything I know about Orions, I learned from hollow novels. Bad ones, too. The ones with boobs on the cover. <laughs> and Veronica Daschle. Hi. And it really is welcome back this week. <laughs> Dude, I missed you guys. Where's everybody right. been? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Keith is the only one who's actually sing. been here. I'm, I, I was <laughs> out sick, and you guys were, like, gallivanting around the world. Yes, yeah. we were. Well, it's nice to have everybody back together. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. Yay. It really is. And I tell you, yeah. it was a Lower Decks blast, because I watched all three back to back to back, and they were excellent. Uh, yes. That yeah, we fun. watched them in reverse order tonight. Right. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, so tonight great. we'll be we'll be talking about the last few episodes of Lower Decks, but first we've got some news items and then a discussion topic. So you want to launch into our sort of uh, our news? Sure. So today we're recording this on September 29, and that means that yesterday, September 28th, was the 35th anniversary of the first syndicated broadcast of the Next Generation. Wow. What? How is that 35 years ago? Wow. So okay. where, where was everybody on September 28th on 1980, whatever the heck that was? I don't know, but I was in the first grade, so it right. really does seem like 35 years ago to me. That's That seems like a long time ago when That's I was in the crazy. first grade. <laughs> Keith, I'm uh, sure you, you watched it on first. I was probably playing with Barbies at my house. Ah. <laughs> uh, maybe my little baby. I was going to say, I was playing with Barbies, too. No, I, <laughs> I was living in Atlanta, and I had just moved here about a year before. And a funny story, my wife and I had moved into an apartment, and I had a television, and the television burned out. And mm. I knew this, this Star Trek was kind of like, I got to see the Star Trek. I got to see the Star Trek. <laughs> so I did that thing. I went up to Beaufort Highway, for those who know, to one of those furniture rental places, like one of those Aaron rents yep. or whatever places. Yeah. Rented a television because I had to have a television, a 25, 26 inch television. Television shows up. It looks like it comes out of a like a of, of a dive bar. It's got cigarette burns in it. <laughs> the, the cord looks like it's been chewed up by somebody. So I call the rental place, make the guys come back out. And at like 730 that night or whatever, 30 minutes for Star Trek shows. I'm having a fight in the stairwell of my apartment complex because the rental place doesn't want to take the crappy TV back. I end up getting a <laughs> I end up getting another rental TV and finally watching Star Trek like five minutes before the show comes on. I get this crappy Aaron rents whatever television that with rat chew stuff all over it. And that's how I watch my first Star Trek. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, TNG. Yeah. And wow. I was I was uh like I had been introduced to Star Trek in eighty-two when my friends made me go see Wrath of Khan with them and I immediately fell in love. So I'd had five years of like catching up on the original series and playing Star Trek role playing games and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. And and so by the time um the counter of Farpoint came along, I was primed and ready. I was like 
it's new Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, so I was there the night that it happened. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, Veronica, you. I don't know if you were playing with Barbies or My Little Pony because you were two years old, and those I don't think they're safe for children under three. Oh, so. That's true. <laughs> oh, <shit>. Wow. <laughs> so what was, was it really eighty-seven? Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, as they say, I was good and grown then. So. Um, <laughs> What was y'all's first reaction to it when you saw it, the pilot? Actually, for you two, what did you see first? Was it the pilot or was it something a lot away? I remember watching it on my grandma's TV. And I have no idea if it was reruns or the new episode. I remember I had a crush on Riker and I really liked Troy. Yeah, mm-hmm. my first strong memory of Next Gen was watching that reading Rainbow special when I was uh, in my first grade classroom, wow. which would have been yes. during season one. Yes. But wow. when I was watching it, my, in my memory, it's a show I'm familiar with. So I, I assume that my parents were watching Next Gen and I was familiar with what the show was. And um, I mean, not not so much that I wasn't surprised when it was revealed at the end, LeVar Burton plays Jordy. Because <laughs> we put the visor on in a big dramatic moment, we're all like, "Whoa, he's that guy." We were in the first. <laughs> that's <grade>. cool. <laughs> that oh, that's was, that was probably also one of my first, like, big Star Trek things. Yeah, because I watched I watched Reading Rainbow. I I mean, I wouldn't have watched it at the same time Chuck did. No, I watched. It. I remember watching it later. I remember knowing what Star Trek was. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I, I may have been five by then, so mm-hmm. I may have been a little bit uh, two, two or three years old by then. I liked it. I, did, I don't. I don't, Season, I, don't recall, I don't recall loving it, but I liked it. Uh, I remember that I thought Data was kind of cool, okay. and seeing Worf on the bridge was kind of cool. And it's so funny the things that stay with you for years and years. They had talked about in the shows and in the technical manuals the saucer separation. Yes. So mm-hmm. that that was a big deal because yeah, we'd never right. seen the saucer separation before. It was so for me was, too. Yeah. yeah. That was awesome. But you know the thing that is funny? The thing that stands out to me the most was the special effects because I hated them because they had that mm-hmm. kind of those video special effects, you know, and coming up on the original series where everything looked, I hate to say the word, but quote unquote real. If you remember like the first season of TNG, at least the first half of the first season, they had those those video effects that didn't look quote unquote real. I don't know the technical terms for it. So I real. really didn't like the, yeah, yeah. I didn't like the effects. <laughs> They look like the kind of video you see on something like Lecture Woman and Dino Girl or something like that. Uh, and then the special effects got better on. But I remember I liked it and I just saw the potential. And the good thing about it was I didn't really know where the show was going. I didn't know what was going to mm-hmm. go on with Dated. I didn't know what there was with Q and Riker and Troy having a relationship on a Klingon on the bridge. So while I didn't love the show, I thought it had some, such incredible potential. And that kept me coming back every week. Cool. How about you, Alan? Um, well, I liked it just because it was my first time experiencing new Star Trek. Well, except for watching the original series, all of it was new to me because I'd mm-hmm. not really ever seen it before. Um, but I knew that it was, you know, 20 years old. So this was my first time experiencing a new Trek with other people who had never seen this Trek before. Yeah. And I remember being really like, even though it, it's you go back and you look at the role in that first episode, and it's so laughable. I loved Troy immediately mm. because I, I'm intrigued mm. by characters that have like mental abilities, and I'm intrigued by any character that has a natural inhibition on their abilities, and they have to kind of like, you know, they're hampered a little bit and they have to work around that. So she was like immediately like my favorite character. 
but wow. I loved all of them, you know, and it was cool to see McCoy. Um, and it was a bit clunky and it was slow. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the first thing that really stood out to me was the very first challenge that this captain uh, encounters on his new ship. He surrenders. I was like, what? This is <laughs> our dialects bring that up. What the, what, what the kind of I was like, this is a stupid way to start your show. <laughs> that is so funny you say that, Alan, because I was just listening to a retrospective on the cage. And one of the things people talked about about that pike, even though I understand what Roddenberry did, was that pike was weary and not dynamic because he was basically talking about going and running Green Orion slave girls and stuff. And they always contrast that. When Shatner first started, they literally said on on stage, on screen, and in on stage, he bounded onto that set. Yeah, with just yeah. incredible energy, and he took it. So I think that's very interesting. You say about Picard, you're right because he surrendered, and then it became that that joke where every time there was a a, a major event, Picard would look around, then he would go conference, and then they all yeah. went to the conference room and they talk. Now when Kirk had a conference; it was like a war. It was cool. But after a while, people go, man, can Picard make a decision without having the conference? And so you could see them settling in and you could see them, frankly, fighting against Roddenberry, trying to make it a much more pacifistic type of future than the original series. And you could see them fighting against that. So, mm. yeah, lots of potential, but not, not, not perfect. So Matt Sweatman was 17 when Next Generation <laughs> debuted. OK, guys, I was the lovely oldest. Elaine was 13 and in the eighth grade. When did it debut? Um, what year again? 87. Uh, I was and apparently Dan Leckie was 1,701 years old. <laughs> um, Elaine says, I did not watch it on a regular basis, but I would check it out from time to time so I could see my crush, Will Wheaton. Wow. Yeah. Maybe Mr. he was my crusher crush. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Stand By Me. That's right. Yeah. So happy anniversary to yeah. Next Generation and to all the folks who were there from day one watching it. Um, Man, that changed everything for Star Trek. One last right. quick thing I want to say about Star Trek that, what, that you mentioned, Alan, I thought about too, was it's so funny now is there were so many people who said this show could not work without yeah. Kirk and McCoy and Spock. And frankly, a decent number of the original crew said it could not work. Without them, Shatner said it couldn't work. Uh, Walter Koenig well, kind of doubted Shatner it said that. Come on, yeah. <laughs> what else is Shatner gonna yeah. say? Please. Even Nimoy doubted it, and I think a lot of people just thought, well, maybe it'll be okay, but it'll never be as good. So I think it's amazing that that mm -hmm. show, which for people now is hard to understand, that show was an experiment. That was a risk back then, an absolute risk. But boy, they made it work. Yeah. All right, and Keith, you had some real-world news that you wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah, just real quick. I think everybody heard about how NASA found an asteroid. It was a double asteroid. Uh, and I didn't forgive me. I didn't get the names. I know the actual. There was an asteroid that had another asteroid orbiting it as a moon, which is really wild. And the little moon is called Dimorphos for two bodies. And what? It took place, as, lot, as everybody probably knows, is NASA chose this asteroid moon system, which is uh, 7 mi million miles away at the time of the impact, as an experiment to see if they could detect, track, and then send some kind of impactor to that asteroid to hopefully knock it off course. 
So what's wild about this is, you know, we talk so much about Star Trek and how we do stuff. What, what's wild about this to me is even though the asteroid was 7 million miles away, this was more like a 10 million mile journey or no, a 10 month journey to get there. So NASA built this spaceship, this impactor. The impactor is about the size of a refrigerator or a vending machine. So not very much mass. But what they did was they set a mission to accelerated speed such that when it hit the asteroid moon, it was traveling 14,000 miles an hour or four four miles a second. And of course, now when you do that, you get that high velocity, you get a lot of momentum. And what was so amazing about this is 7 million miles away. And the last estimate I saw is NASA said the probe that was to impact the, the, the asteroid was maybe 17 meters off target. Now, that sucker, that moon is only 500 feet across, 7 million miles away, and they missed the target impact site by maybe 50 feet. That wow. is phenomenal. Of course, it was, it was self-guiding itself. And the whole point of this, of course, was, as anybody knows, you just look at the surface of the moon, and you can see that planets have been hit by the asteroids and meteorites for, mil- for billions of years. And, of course, everybody knows about the one that killed the dinosaur. And some may know about there was one in 1908 over Tunguska, Russia, that was about the same size as the one um, the one that created the great meteorite crater in Arizona. That sucker blew up a couple of miles above the surface of the Siberian forest and flattened like eight million trees. So we, uh, what's funny is a lot of times people talk about the the the, uh, the dinosaur killing asteroid, but honestly, it's more than asteroids like the one we hit the other day that we need to worry about. Because mm. the dinosaur-killing asteroid is the size of Mount Everest. We'll see it coming. And whether we can stop it or not is a whole different matter. But those, but those we'll just call ones, Bruce Willis. He'll take care yeah, of it. Yeah, right? <laughs> but the little ones like the one we hit, if the one, that, if the one we hit the other day had hit Earth, it would have created a crater a mile wide and 50 stories deep. Those are the ones we need to watch. And so I thought it was fascinating that we had a technology where we can do something like that. Um, and it's funny, you look at Star Trek, you look at episodes like uh, the Paradise Syndrome, where Kirk thought he was a god, and they had that cool deflector, and the Enterprise has the deflector and, and uh, repulsion beams. We're nowhere near there, but I thought it was just amazing that our current technology, we could even attempt to do something like that. It was just fascinating. Speaking awesome. of dinosaurs, Michael Okuda posted a photo, uh, a picture uh, the, right after the DART mission was completed mm-hmm. of, of dinosaurs. And they're kind of like chewing their grass and looking up at the sky. And, right. and he said, just to put this in perspective, dinosaurs never even bothered to try and, you know, block their asteroids. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny guy. If you ever, you should follow him on Facebook. If yeah. You yeah. And the thing is, it's the, the asteroid, like the one that we hit, those hit the earth maybe about once a century or so. And so it's not a minor thing that we need to learn to deflect something like that. Now, the one that killed the dinosaurs, to your point, Alan, was, I did some rough calculation, 216,000 times the size of the one we hit the other day. So, yeah, we got a ways to do before we can do like Star Trek, but <laughs> baby steps. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's, it's better to have the capability and not have to use it yes. than the opposite. You know, yes. absolutely. You hate for, for us to discover one and be like, oh, we should have done that thing with the asteroids. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know? Like they told us in all those space books and movies. Right. Yeah. Well, awesome. All right. So if you're with us on the audio podcast, we're going to take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we'll get into our discussion topic. So stay right there. 
Hey, we're Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. Almost 12 years old. Davy Jones was it for me. <laughs> I was having problems dancing and tambourining. I got overzealous <laughs> and overly excited. Like we've had our own little version of Monkey Mania 50 years later, which is just crazy. Be sure to like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and monkeyingaround.com. So this week, uh, we thought we would reflect a little bit about Louise Flesher and mm. her role as Kai Wynn on Deep Space Nine with her recent passing. Um, she's been on everybody's mind. Mm-hmm. And um, did anybody want to kick that off? Um, I think, you know, we, we did a we did a show recently on Gul Dukat. I think mm. that Kai Wynn is like Dukat level. Mm. Yeah. As far as like characterization, as far as like the depth of um, what we saw from that character and how they developed her over the seven years and just the complexity of her morals. Mm. I think that she's a fascinating character. And it was it's so interesting because sometimes they kind of not that they flip flop on it, but sometimes she she's so complex that sometimes she comes in as an antagonist. Sometimes she comes in as a protagonist and it all sort of like fits in this like flowing river of, of moral fluidity that is Mm. Kai Wen. And whatever she does is going to be for a reason. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. And I find that so interesting, especially if you're talking about a religious leader. I think it's, I think she's a great character. Mm -hmm. We've been, um, Rewatching uh, DS9, sort of like we'll start the next episode every night when we go to bed, um, and we uh, we actually just watched the one where she's introduced and she's like talking down to Kira and yeah. is like, oh, maybe they should have just asked. We think it's better to ask. Oh, yes, this is what we should do. Oh, maybe you should stay for a day, a week if you need to, like. <laughs> get out of here before the week's up. We want you out of here by the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, there's, I mean, I know that's what she wanted to say, but at the same time, you're a religious leader. Let's be a little bit kinder, you know? Yeah. Louise, uh, Veronica, I'm following up on what you said. Louise Fletcher could drip contempt like nobody. When she yes. would say, like, there's one, one episode, and I can't remember one, there's one episode where she was with Kira and she looked at Kira and she goes, you may go child. And the way she said child right. every time just goes all over your skin. Mm-hmm. Even when she calls, uh, we've talked before about how certain words, but basically the words you say almost doesn't matter. It's the tone behind the word. I think I've told mm-hmm. y'all once that what, one of the worst things I was ever called in my life was sir by people who mm-hmm. are racist and I know what they meant. Even when she calls Cisco emissary, the way it drips yeah. off, yeah. It, even that is like, it's supposed because- to be her ultimate respect. Because she has that that sort of jealousy, she feels threatened yes. by him. He's an outsider who's coming in to right. this institution that she has believed in her entire life. And not only and that, but he's like in, in power, and she's exactly not exactly. in power over him, which is what and she he's, wants. And he's the ultimate foreigner. He's not even mm-hmm. he's not even of her race, which really right. she couldn't have. I have a question, um, Alan. You said something I thought was very interesting about her being very complex. Now, when she was introduced, she was already plotting murder, right? Of what's his face? Yep. Uh, right. What's, what's in it? Uh, Burial? Yeah. yeah. Burial. 
Yep. But there's always been a discussion. Do we think that Kai Wen was always quote unquote evil or is it just yes. little steps over the years? Because nope. she was, she was, she wasn't a freedom fighter, but she did suffer. So what do you think? Yeah. yeah I'll Veronica get to that yes. point in a minute. hundred percent evil. You think so? From day one, get go all yes. her life. I don't know. I don't know. I, think, I don't I don't think evil. Yeah. Go ahead. I think that she in her own mind is well-intentioned. And I think that she was a person, she started out at least as a person of faith. And I think that faith, yeah. I imagine her as being some one of those, I, mean, I know that she was lived during the, during the occupation, but I matter, mm-hmm. imagine her as like a, a sheltered religious child or a, a sheltered mm-hmm. child of a religious family. Who, right. That's what she believes. She was very sort of limited in what she was exposed to. And she just clung to those beliefs her entire life. You know, at the exclusion of, I mean, you get the wider universe she's, she has access to as she gets older. And, right. you know, she just stays mm-hmm. the course. And I think with Cisco, there's a lot of jealousy, too, because it became clear by the end of the series that she had never had a vision of the prophets. The prophets yes. had never, like, all the years that she'd been serving them and rising to the level of Kai, and they had never spoken to her. Yeah. But this guy comes wandering in, in his first episode. He's having his a vision episode. of the prophets. You know? <laughs> exactly. And that's one of the things, first of all, um, Louise, her delivery was always even keel. Yes. You know, no matter what she was doing, if she was plotting murder, if she was consoling someone, no matter what it was, she always sort of had like this, this like calmness Mm -hmm. about her. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so interesting. Um, But going back to what you were just talking about, that um, at the end of season one, where they use her to sort of like play out this basically science versus creationism argument that ends up with Keiko's school getting blown up. The circle shows. Yeah. Fascinating, fascinating episode. And, you know, and it's like, uh, she's here. She is being exposed to those wider, um, viewpoints that you're talking about and she can't accept them. Right. Because there are a, they're a threat to her belief system and to what she teaches other people. And man, that is one of the hot. I mean, the last two episodes of season one are the that, that's like the first time that you really see this is where Deep Space Nine is going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think she's she's a, she's absolutely has real world analogs because uh, as, oh, yeah. as y'all are saying, Charles, you're saying, I think one of the episodes that got me was the epi- and again, I don't remember which episodes when she talked, she and Kira had an argument and she told Kira, OK, you were a terror, you were a freedom fighter. But Kai Wen was based in an internment camp, and she was beaten yeah. and tortured. Okay, and that's and the quote. That yeah, I got that lot. quote because okay. I, um, I don't know if you remember. There used to be this book series, um, and I don't remember what the series was called, but it was a, a each one was a collection of short stories written by fans, mm-hmm. and you could submit a story. And Strange I had this worlds. whole story. Yes. Okay. Um, there was an episode and I can't remember the episode, but you know, uh, Kira is like going off on her and accusing her of all this blah, blah, blah. And she just looks at Kira and she says in that calm tone of voice, those of you who were in the resistance, you're all the same. You think you're the only ones who fought the Cardassians that you saved Bajor single-handedly. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you forget Major. The, uh, the Cardassians arrested any Bajor and found to be teaching the word of the prophets. I was in a Cardassian prison camp for five years and I can remember each and every beating I suffered. And while you had your weapons to protect you, all I had was my faith and my courage. Walk with mm. the prophets, child. I know I will. <laughs> yeah, that's that the thing like, I was thinking of. That is the defining yeah. 
Kai Wen moment, I think. And so I was uh, Holocaust minors. I was a Holocaust studies minor in college. And that quote just lit my mind up. And I was like, I'm going to, this, this is exactly what I've been studying. This is Kai Wen having gone through her own Holocaust. Hmm. And so I wrote this, um, this story that um, it was basically her uh, recounting. It was a story of her in the internment camp and all the things that she faced. And I was like polishing it up and I was finishing it and I was going to submit to that thing. And then the episode where she says, I have never even heard from the prophets and I renounced my faith and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, well, that just tears all my story completely apart because <laughs> it was all about having that communion with the prophets and that communion with the prophets was the thing that got her through her Holocaust. Mm. Um, so thanks a lot. Start that people, <laughs> you know, and it, let's talk about the prophets because this is always a really fascinating thing. And this is whole thing of predicting the future, knowing the future in circular time. Right. And as in, as in, did the prophets know that Kaiwen was ultimately going to fall to evil or that the prophets, well, because they don't live in linear time that they knew it. But if you think about it, it's kind of weird because if you had gone back in time and maybe found a young Kai, a young Wen, and the prophets talked to her, maybe yeah. she wouldn't have turned to evil. Mm -hmm. Even just, mm. you know, every now and then. But of course, they would say, well, we always knew she was going to. I see Brian yeah. shaking your head. Right. I sometimes get frustrated with that. It's always, y'all could have thrown her a bow and said, hey, what's up, Kai? You know, Kai, you <laughs> hey, got what's up? <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think and I think the thing we're talking about is very is very pointed. Yes, when you want to stop the resistance, you want to kill people, and you want to fight back. You have to fight, which is what Kira and them did. But the other thing is is you have to show your spirit can't be broken, and that's what Dukat and um, Dukat and uh, Wayun later on with the Dominion War, and even people like Garrick were saying was it's not just enough to beat them physically. You have to break their spirits. They didn't break they didn't break Wen's spirit, so right. she did serve. And I get I get frustrated sometimes with the prophets. Like y'all couldn't have said something to her, but I guess again they're living in the future where she's evil. Right. But I'm right. thinking, but could you have gone into the past, even though they don't think of the past, and said, you know, it's that whole thing about destiny. Did, did Kai have to go down that path? Does she have to go down that path? Could the prophets have changed their own future that they live in, seeing if I'm making any sense? They mm. probably could have, but uh, <coughs> who knows? Who knows? Or did they? Or do they see? the end result and know that that's where she's headed. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Like it's always going to be that way. Yeah. It's an interesting, it's that whole like predestination versus free will sort of like, um, and in this case, the, the question is about the God figures rather than the, you know, mortal. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, just a super quick couple of comments. Um, Matt says, Kai Wen is the perfect example of everyone believing they're the hero in their own story. Mm -hmm. Amen. Matt. And on our YouTube channel, uh, Subspace Chatter, I love that name, mm -hmm. says that the monologue I read was from the episode Rapture. So Rapture. thank you for thank you for reminding us of that. I mm -hmm. couldn't remember. Is Rapture the one where Cisco gets the vision that was almost killing him? Is that the one? Y'all remember? We'll have to wait till Subspace Chatter chimes back <laughs> in and tells us. <laughs> Yeah, there was one. There was one where they were they were literally about to bring um, Bajor into the Federation, and Cisco yeah. has the visions yeah. where he said, "Not right. now." I don't yep. know if that's the one or not. But but I and I think I think the hero of their own story is so very true because she did believe herself to be mm. doing the right thing. Yeah, I don't think well, so. I don't think so either. Mm. I think Go she ahead. had decided that um, she was owed power, 
Yes. And mm. that the prophets were going to give her power whether they yes. wanted to or not. And eventually she got mm. fed up because she got all this power, but not because of the prophets. And the prophets were still ignoring her, even though she had all this power. So F the prophets. Do you think exactly. that's the whole time, or you think that's by the end, by that by that final arc? I mean, by that final arc, but the whole time, I feel like she was, she felt like the prophets owed her mm. that She's she was due this power, and and she right. was supposed to have this power, and it was owed to her. She's single minded. She's ambitious. She can be manipulative in order to achieve. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, she wasn't every single time we saw her, but. Probably behind the scenes, she always was. <laughs> That's very interesting because I think, and I'm not, I don't want to speak for you, Charles, but it seems like Charles and I lean just a little bit more to she wasn't always necessarily that way. And maybe just little steps. At least that's how I feel. I could see her at mm-hmm. 20 not, I could see her at 20 not being that thing that she became. I could see her not being natively quote unquote evil when she was 20. Um, yeah, yeah. I could see that. Yeah, I could see yeah, that. But, but, you know, yeah. but that's not something we saw on screen. Absolutely. So I do think that she began, you know, genuinely like most Mm -hmm. people in religion do. Right. Um, And I think that at some point, like Veronica is saying, she came to like, and it could have been little steps, but she came to that point where she's like, I'm not getting what I'm thinking I should be getting from this. How do I get more? And, and I think that's a fascinating journey. Mm hmm. Uh, Let's see. Matt says, I think she became disillusioned and more naked in her ambitions by the end of the show. Absolutely. 100%. But like when we first see her, she's, you know, blowing up a school, basically. (laughs) And then, you know, the beginning of season two, she's scheming and conniving in order to gain this position of power. You know, she's basically, oh, God, I hate to say this. She's basically rigging an election. Yep. <laughs> no, no, she is. You're right. <laughs> she is. <laughs> yes. Um, Subspace says Rapture was season five and was the first episode with the DSI characters in the first contact uniforms. That makes it my favorite episode because <laughs> <laughs> that's when they started to look really good in them uniforms. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> and the yeah. timing stuff. <laughs> And Kai Wen does that thing that a lot of people with strong beliefs do, where the beliefs get sort of twisted. Like right, you can yeah. make the you can make your belief system support what you're doing, you know, whether you're following right. your belief system or whether it's following you. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely, um, absolutely. So I think there's a lot of cases where I don't, I don't know how deliberate she's being about it, but um, maybe some self delusion that you know it is in the best interest of the prophets for me to take these actions. It is in the best interest of the prophets and for their plan for me to be in power. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and taking that upon herself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you look at, again, if you look at human history, whether it's popes and priests or rabbis or imams or whatever you want to call it, even in the, in the Christian Bible, the King James Bible that I was raised on, you will find people who get to this point where many times, especially in the old Testament, um, God will make someone do something that give up a life or the whole thing of Job, which I hope I don't get hit by lightning always troubled me where Job, God just like, like Job get completely messed up. (laughs) And then what happens sometimes people, they'll say, I gave everything for you and you won't even talk to me. And that's literally Kai Wynn is saying to the prophets, because again, like you said, Alan, five years of being beaten and tortured and who knows what else happened to her. And they never even spoke to her one time. And you can see her going, I gave up all for this. And yeah, Vedic Burial 
was perfectly fine and nice and pleasant. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Packer was him. cool. Yeah. Kyle well, Packer was, wasn't it? Kyle oh, Paca. yeah. Kyle Packer was Paca. awesome. She wasn't a yeah, yeah. She's Paca? an alpaca? No. She, it <laughs> alpaca? Was, no. <laughs> y'all, are, y'all are saying it wrong. Kyle Packer. Whatever. No. Oh. It's alpaca. Okay. Whatever. I'm Dalek, right. Dalek, whatever. No. <laughs> I know. Trust me. <laughs> um, what was I going to say now that we're talking about alpacas? I don't <laughs> <laughs> My thoughts like, have been derailed by alpacas. As I think what I like happens. it's alpacas. Whatever. What I, what I like about somebody <laughs> like Wynn is I don't like we said, I don't envision her as there's that whole concept of are you born evil? Yeah, you know, are you just gonna be evil no matter what? And I don't think in her case that's the that is the case. Um mm. I think we all have that potential to go that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I, my, in my head, Kenneth, I like to envision that she was not always evil. Like I like to envision she wasn't 15. Like I maybe right. an ambition and evil aren't even the same thing. Maybe when she was 15, she wanted to be Kai, but that doesn't necessarily mean she was going to be evil. Right. And so I, I think she's a really good cautionary tale. And I, and I love it because of the complexity of her. Mm-hmm. And I think that writing that one speech, possibly more than anything else I ever saw with Kai Wen, served to balance it where I could see her as not just pure evil. The yeah. fact that that woman took five years of that, there's some good in her, no matter how buried down it became. And that makes her much more of a, of a well-balanced character for me. Agreed. Mm. Yeah. Agreed. No, nope. <laughs> not, not for Veronica. <laughs> She's not swayed. She, she had ambition, yes, but she made the decision. She, she knew right from wrong. She was taught that. And that mm-hmm. is a choice that you make of, you know, right from wrong, but you want this and you think it's more important yeah. than doing the right thing. Yeah, <laughs> right. And even even ambition for what you think is the right reason. I am good for Bajor. Therefore, mm-hmm. I need to be Kai. Mm-hmm. And if you believe therefore, that. I'm so, going to blow up this school. Right. <laughs> if you believe that so strongly that you're willing to take, you know, more and more, you know, aggressive steps to get that thing so that you can be good for Bajor then you're gaining something that should be good for wrong reasons and in wrong ways. Mm. So yes. great people character. do that, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we should also say that as we talk about this character, we are not saying that everyone that's involved in religion is a Kai Wen. And, you know, and, you know, we're just, we're just talking about this one character. Oh, <laughs> definitely not. I was raised in a ch- I was raised in a church and my late father was a was a preacher, so I, I have no problems. I still consider myself a Christian, so I have no problems with religion, as you're saying. But I, as, but as we are all saying, you got to point out that any kind of power can be corrupted. And I think that's what happened mm-hmm. with yes. her. One other thing I want to say real quick, this is so weird. Only about five years ago, relatively recently, that I, I was reading some bio or some article interview with um, Nana Visitor, where she said that she and Louise Fletcher were friends. And I'm not surprised by that, but I think it's always so cool because everybody, and I read a lot of stuff in the last week, everybody talks about what a sweet woman Louise Fletcher was in real life. She was real gentle from Alabama. I didn't know she was a, she was a, was a Dakota child of adult, of a deaf parents. Um, And when she accepted her Academy Award for One Flew in Cuckoo's Nest, she did some sign at the end because her parents were deaf and she knew how to do sign. And so much I read about her, everybody says she's such a sweet woman. And she did three roles that are really kind of chilling. There's Nurse Ratchet in One Flow to Cuckoo's Nest. There's Kai Wen. And then I saw her in this movie based on a book called Flowers in the Attic, 
which mm. is this weird book and movie about this woman who finds out that her grandkids are the product of an incestuous relationship. And she thinks they are full of original sin. And she literally locks her grandkids in the attic for several years and doesn't let them out. And it's not a great movie, but she's really good in it. And it always just reminds you of how an actor can play so much against type. Because yeah. nothing that she put on screen in those bad roles is what anybody said she was like in real life. She was a really sweet and gentle and soft-spoken woman. And boy, she could play some terrifying <laughs> roles. I have found from my limited knowledge, but the people that are the kindest play the best bad guys. Because they're so kind and they they know what right and wrong is and how to treat people. So they hold their natural instincts back. But then they can let loose on those characters and they let loose. <laughs> That's true. Three of the three of the three of the most uh, three of the best bad guys I've ever seen in history in certain roles were actually Henry Ford, Glenn Fonda and Jimmy Stewart. When those guys played bad, they were they were frightening. Um, so I agree with you there. All right. Well, we'll take another quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we're going to be catching up with Star Trek Lower Decks. So stay right there. Hey, Dad. What's the Soul Forge podcast? The Soul Forge podcast is all about life, the universe, and everything. Is it good for kids? Oh, no. It's not good for kids. Is it geeky? Oh, it can be geeky, but it can also be serious. We talk about life, sex, dating, and mental health, and so much more. Where can you find a Soul Forge podcast? You can find it everywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, and the ESO Network. Spoilers. Great job. That'll do it. Very effective. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. Sorry, and some I got... of these are like so far out that if you haven't watched yeah, the yeah. two right. of the episodes, then right. that's on you. Mm -hmm. um, just really quick. I got a comment right as we were going to break. Okay. Matt Swipman says, the fact that we have so many emotions about Kai Wen speaks wonders to Louise's performance. And mm -hmm. I will add to the way the character was written. Yes. Yeah, man. All right. Mm -hmm. Moving on. Lower decks. Lower decks. Lower decks. We've got three weeks worth of lower decks now. But yeah, um, moly. I mean, what do we want to do? Just start with DS9? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I don't even remember what the previous two were because all I can think of is DS9. <laughs> they went to freaking DS9. And all right. the little like candy uh, Easter eggs. Oh, <laughs> the candy. Candy, whatever. There's the candy, candy and Easter eggs. <laughs> First off, uh, I thought the, they, they, they faithfully reproduced the station in the appearance. Oh, oh man. It looks it was so, so good. It didn't yeah. it, though? And, it was and even great. more exciting than the station is that we got Kira and Quark back. Yes. Okay. Yes. I was 100% sure that we would get Quark. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if we'd get anybody else. So... Kira showing up just blew my mind, and I was so excited. As as Chuck knows, because I texted him as I was watching it, and I was like, Kira, in all caps with about 35 exclamation points at the end. I know. <laughs> well, and, and those two make the most sense to be still be where they were. Yeah. You know, it makes sense yeah. that Kira's running the station. It makes sense yeah. that Quark is still at Quark's. Right. 
right. so I thought that worked really well. Oh, totally. Makes sense that Morin's still on his stool. Yes. 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 Oh, I saw Morin go by. <laughs> that was the best. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. So, you know, you were you said on Facebook, um, can we have a DS9 uh, animated series now? And mm-hmm. I think if we did that, which, yes, I'm 100% behind that, it would make sense to have it led by Kira and Quark and mm-hmm. a, a new crew. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you can have that. Bring that Orion so, guy back. <laughs> well, he's exactly. A, he, he's stationed there. Yep, exactly. doesn't, uh, doesn't Rolaren come onto the station later on, at least in the book continuity? In the books, but they're not following yeah, but, the books. Uh, and, and they're, and they're not going to get her to come back. To, it's yeah. interesting because it seems to be a Bajoran station now because what? we were noticing yeah. in, in Ops that yeah. it was all Bajorans and Secure mm-hmm. wasn't wearing a Starfleet insignia. She was wearing a Bajoran insignia on the other side. Makes sense. So she couldn't yeah. like reach over and tap it. She had to like do a weird thing with her arm to well, tap it. Well, the Bajoran insignias are always opposite. They were always on the other side. Yeah. Yes. I am um, aware. I'm just pointing out okay. that it was okay. awkward when she did that. So when um, Mike McMahon was talking about this episode before the season started, he was like, we're going to go to DS9. Our characters are going to walk the promenade. So we knew we were going to get promenade. So I knew yeah. we were going to get Quark. But when they had scenes set in ops, I was like, oh, my God. It was good. And Cisco's and, office. Ah! And Cisco's office and the baseball. The baseball, yep. yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just and she made a baseball inc- joke. Incredibly what, well done. What truly mm-hmm. made me truly laugh out loud is Ford even got to station is when they were trying to delay. And he said, I don't know, just circle the station. And they <laughs> gave yep. you the full flourish <laughs> of the music, like yep. a yeah. pure drama. The wormhole opens up, and then it's like, okay, and he goes, I don't know, just keep circling, and that was so awesome because they and then the, and then the theme starts back up. Yes, yeah. great. <laughs> it was great because they they gave a pure tribute with that music and looking at the station, and then they threw a little joke in, and it worked. And I gotta say, mm-hmm. I just laughed. Yeah. I also yeah. like that they mentioned that race, the Karma, because they were Karma, Karima, or they were mentioned in Deep Space Nine. So I love they went back. And I love when they came on board. And they, oh, holy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was cool, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, lost, um, lost key. Those of yeah. you that are. Boy, I had, I had a, we just had a light. We had a light switch and I had all kinds of the glitch. But I love it when they got off the station and the guy goes, I don't even know how these alpha savages defeated the Dominion. I thought that was hilarious. That, that was, right. There were some good jokes in this episode. Yeah. And I thought that they did a really good job. It, something that seems strange to me in Picard was that they established that Quarks is a franchise. Like there's Quarks in different places. And they've carried <laughs> yes. on with that with Lower Decks too. Right, so I thought they did right. a good job of explaining that yep. and then sort of turning it back in. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of strange to think of Quark as a successful business guy with all these, you know what I mean? Because Quark's right. always like, that's whole Quark's whole character is the scrambling and wanting to be successful. Right. So I love, I love that he ripped off some technology and made a success with it until they found out. And now he's back where he was, essentially. He's got these restaurants, but he's not getting the profits from them. We're not getting th- three-fourths of the profits yeah. from them. I, love, <laughs> I noticed I that love... he changed his sign to match the sign that they had in the Picard. Yes, exactly. I love that. Oh, good catch. Um, yeah, the branding is like uniform throughout the yeah. franchise. Um, right. I also loved that they, you play out this entire episode, and, and it comes down at the end to... All this is because of Quark being Quark, and like everyone turns around and they have that <laughs> Quark. 
moment. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I found out that this is Matt Sweat. I mean, um, Dan Leckie. So he says, yep. watching this episode weeks ago, I was a bit disappointed that Kira and Quark are the only returning DS9 main characters. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree, but you couldn't I'm have not, too many of them. I'm not terribly surprised either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and of said, the ones that would be related yeah. to anything, it would be those two. I mean, they're not going to well, go to see Bashir. It, it would be those two and Odo, but that's not well, a Odo's viable not possibility at this point. Yeah, Odo went back to the Great Link. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. Uh, he Never wouldn't mind. even be there. Yeah. Forget that. Okay. Uh, he also says, I've been so excited to find out fan reaction to episode six, and I'm also very much looking forward to how fans respond to episode seven. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. Sorry. Go go ahead and read Matt Sweatman's comment. He, he and Elaine went to Quark's in wow. Las Vegas, the Las Vegas franchise. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. And it was a uh, really, really cool experience. I, I wish, was. I wish. I wouldn't wish. it be cool? Yeah. If, wouldn't it be cool if y'all went to Quark's if Quark could have a franchise across space and time? Yes. <laughs> somehow, he somehow went back in time and had a Quark's in, in his past. He already did. They just he has to do it again. He has to like get the what was it the dolomite? Was that what it was? Dolomite? No. The, uh, oh, you're. Oh, no, oh no, no, yeah. No. Um, what was that stuff yeah. called? Chemosite. 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 Yeah, See, yeah. I was I was really close. Come on. Yeah. Dolomite's <laughs> yeah, you... an old school comedian. We got to send. I'll have to send you a picture of him. <laughs> no, we we have several Dolomite DVDs. Yes. Oh, do you? Of course okay. you do. Yes. As soon as I said it, I was like, "That's a person." I got a whole collection of them. They know what I mean. <laughs> Oh, one thing I got to shout out. Tacky Cardassian fascist eyesore. I yep. love it when, <laughs> when yep. he said that. And yep. then that whole thing about who saved yes. whom. <laughs> I loved, I loved um, establishing new connections, new yes. past connections between the Cerritos crew and the DS9 crew. I loved yeah. that Shax and, and Kira know each other from the resistance. I love that they yeah. have a history with each other. I thought that yeah. was so cool. I loved, you know, when... Okay, we're going to have to talk about the Mariner subplot, but when she finally comes onto the station at the end, I love that Cork is like, Mariner, I hope you've got a way to pay your tab. I just think that's so neat that we have that history that's now been established and built into this. I love right. it. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and speaking of which, I really love the ending where Cork chews the hologram and Kira <laughs> chases him around and Boimler walks across the screen like you can barely see him with his furringy ears and his arms yes. full of all yes. kinds of stuff from the store. Uh, yes. What a sad it. what a sad thing. And that guy had the Boimler like, like super subplot was amazing. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I agree. I mean, the guy the guy had a double <laughs> run that nobody nobody had ever seen before. And then he's like, We don't use money anyway, so you get, I'll take the get the, the gift shops. <laughs> and everybody's like, What? <laughs> I also love that pretty much the the lead, the leads in this episode were Freeman, Freeman and Kira, and them on that mission, and Tendy. Mm. I love that, that this was, you know, a Tindy episode. I love yeah. also that um, that Mariner was basically the B-plot. Yeah. That agree. she wasn't the one driving the story. And I love that Boimler had a good thread through this whole thing, but he wasn't the the, the focus either. I love yeah. learning more about Tindy. I love her personality. I loved her uh, relationship establishing with a new Orion. And the the new Orion, you know, is like 
I have to be the traditional Orion, even though I'm from Ohio and I don't know what any of that means. I, I feel like they were so... spoofing Worf on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I thought that was so well done. I, I, I really, I, you know, I mean, I love all four of the main characters and I like any time that one of them is a focus. So yeah. I, I love that being a basically a Tindy episode. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that we got some backstory for her. And we got some explanation for some questions we've had since the beginning about yeah. how she relates to the Reliant, uh, Orion culture and how she came to be in Starfleet. And yeah, um, well, does anybody want to uh, have any closing thoughts about that episode before we touch on some highlights from the past two? More, more. They can just stay on DS Nine for another yeah, just, episode. I just want the just, cartoon. I want the Worf and Kira. I mean, the Quark and Kira spinoff. I agree. Yes. <sighs> Me too. I agree. Oh my god. They have got to do it. Something. Yes. Okay. So and I guess apparently I... Jake's still there because he was like going to talk to the junior reporter. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I'm true. sure Shrock's up to up for it. Yeah. Oh sure. Okay. Well, the past couple of weeks we 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 weren't here. We we missed a few episodes. So um, I mean, what jumped out to you from the past two weeks? Anything that anyone wanted to to highlight to comment on that really Rutherford. You? Huh? Oh yeah, Rutherford. Yeah, the Rutherford yep. thing. We we finally came back to the whatever the cover up is on Rutherford's situation and got a little yeah. bit more detail a, a on that. A little bit, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got his backstory to an yeah. extent, but then we also we got some more mystery and a little more information with some clues that yeah. about this conspiracy storyline. So I like yeah. that that's moving forward and it's sort yeah. of it's building. Yes. You know, Love I'm it. glad they finally did something with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like that whole storyline. I loved um, his old self waking up, like the backup of his memories taking over. And I loved the whole thing where he was in the reflections. And I loved the the race. And it made perfect sense that Rutherford would build a Delta Flyer, which is a great way to get a Delta Flyer into the right. show. Yeah. Yes, it is. I, I, uh, I do have to say that after that episode, I noticed in this episode, he was like super extra Rutherford, <laughs> like five million at, times. Well, at one point on the DS9 when he said, I need to tone it down. I know. <laughs> but he was yeah. on DS9. I mean, he's going to be extra Rutherford on DS9. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he saw Chief O'Brien's dartboard. How can you not be excited <laughs> about that? I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see more of that old Rutherford. I, he was He was interesting. Yeah. And such a completely different person. Oh, yeah. Well, yep. still with the love of engineering. Yeah. But yeah, with a right. very different personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just angry. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm intrigued to see what else happens uh, or what else happened mm-hmm. and then where this storyline goes. I like that they're sort of weaving this in this year. I like that a lot. Yeah. So, so has Rutherford, I forget now, has Rutherford never been shown to have any surviving family? Not that we've uh, seen. They've, they haven't mentioned think, anything. I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. Because I was, because because given how incredibly different he was, it would be anybody from his past, they would probably mm. not want them to be around him. It's because yeah. he's he's different in every way. Well, in that might be a next way. step in the storyline. Is yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, plus, I mean, how long has he been in Starfleet? A few years. I mean, if he was at the academy when this happened, and now he's yeah. been in Starfleet for a few years, it, he may have family members who don't know. That's yeah. I, I wrote down something that made that I, I took a note. He said something. T- he said something to the effect that it was 10 years ago. So, mm. but you're right. It was his first year. So, mm. yeah. So my thought was, where's his family and stuff? Because they right. would be um, all kinds of um, clues to something. Maybe that that's why he was angry because he didn't have any family and his Maybe. family died tragically. Could yeah. Be. That's what I wonder. Yeah. It's it was, it was interesting. Trek. <laughs> do we do we just assume it's section thirty one just because it's always section thirty one or no? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I didn't see anybody. 
I said, I didn't see anybody speed walking. So <laughs> <laughs> the jury's out. <laughs> That's how Section 31 walks. <laughs> They're trained to do it that way. Right. Yeah. It's more efficient. Um, Remember uh, Boimler did that in the like second episode? I know. That's why I made that, yeah. I made that joke. I didn't make that up. <laughs> That's from the show we're watching. <laughs> talking about. <laughs> Good job. In the in the previous episode, the one with the room lottery, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, with the, I like that a lot. Yeah, with the two different lower decks shifts competing to see who could get. I, I thought that was really cool. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, watched that in my hotel room at Dragon Con. Oh wow! Um, yeah. Wait, is that is that only two? I think, that, I think that was. I think that was is the that, week after Dragon Con. Was no. no, that was that was that was Dragon Con because we watched it after was Dragon it? Con because we, yeah. we were like no, 15. No, that was after Dragon Con. You're all mistaken. Yes, we are. Mining <laughs> yeah. the Minds Minds was that was the during one that Dragon came out Con. during Dragon Con. Never oh, okay. mind. Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, the room lottery. I, I, well, really I love enjoyed it. That one. Yeah. Anytime there's an adventure through parts of the ship we've never seen <laughs> through the bowels of the ship. I, I'm like a sucker for that swamp. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that it makes sense. That swamp was hilarious. Well, it's underneath hydroponics. You, you never really think about what's <laughs> underneath hydroponics. I mean, yeah. it's growing from somewhere. Yeah. And I love being inside a deflector. Oh, yeah, that was super cool. I thought that was way cool. Absolutely. Keith, That's how did you like says, the adventure? They were, mysteri- the they were mysterious about who saved Rutherford. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I loved it. And again, I laughed out loud because, you know, the whole Jellicoe Delta shift, Delta shift, a Delta shift has always has a certain connotation to it now. Like Delta right. shift, they're the worst. That I thought that was great. Uh, Apparently, they actually are. Yeah. And did I see a skull in that thing below hydroponics? I thought I saw an animal or human skull I, there. I, I I I think that it was a um a Doppler or a Doppler. I think it was a Doppler. Oh, <laughs> I think he had a out. I think he had a Doppler outfit. Oh on. wow! Okay. Oh, I think I missed that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it I'll was have real to go quick. Back and watch it. It was like a blink and you'll miss it kind of thing. That's awesome. Yeah. That is great. Ooh, yeah, I, I thought just, that was funny. I just remembered something from the episode today that I need to mention. Okay. Batleths are us. That's Batleths are us. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Keith, yep. where do you keep going? <laughs> keep Can you ever hear out. me? <clears throat> yes. Can you guys ever hear me? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I think it's my yep. camera here. Let me try. Yeah. There okay. we go. You should see me now. There we go. Okay. Yep. Cool. And I, I really liked... Um, when they had to go work the Starfleet booth and uh, oh my gosh, in last yes. week's episode. I and, thought that was great. And Boimler's the one who couldn't keep it together. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Well, I that just love fantastic. that all these the all these different groups have recruiting booths, like yes. the outpost scientists and the independent archaeologists. I love it. And did you see the callbacks? Because they had the collectors mm-hmm. guild and the guy was yep. dressed like Faja from the most toys. Yeah. Yep. And I thought that was great. You're right. And the conspiracy guild and the outpost folks, that that was hilarious. Like we get to wear whatever we want. <laughs> and I thought that was funny. That <laughs> was funny. And they had the guys with the game. Yeah. Yes, oh, oh, yeah. 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 People in games. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> the funniest thing was the independent architects, because if you join a group, you're not independent anymore. That's true. I, yeah. thought that was, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. And they're setting up. I mean, I, I expect her to be a recurring character. Yeah. She's going to return. Yeah. Yeah. That archaeologist. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking we still have recurring got- characters. Yeah. We what? still haven't gotten the Klingon or the Vulcan. Where are they? Yeah. Right. How far? How many episodes are we in? How many episodes are we getting? 
Uh, well, ten. ten. This is and this is won. number six. Right. So a question. Where's my bullpen? Where's my Klingon? <laughs> so as a question, what's up with Starbase eighty? <laughs> Not good. Whatever. Even it is. even Mariner with all her cocky arrogance, she's like, "Hey, wait, wait, wait! Don't send me there." Right. Um, what is the deal? And then they even talked about what a hellhole it is. And then um, the uh, other guy said something like, "Somebody drowning." When they even talked about Starbase eighty, so <laughs> one of his, in one of his um, his old sayings. So what? I wonder what's up with Starbase eighty. Yeah, that, that sounds very interesting. I would love it if they eventually went there and everyone's like, "Ugh, it's the worst," but it's fine. and it's nice. Yeah, it's, <laughs> right. it's perfect. Like it's, it's boring yeah. or something like that. Oh, they have that carpet. <laughs> right. <laughs> that yeah, would be, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I thought the recruiting thing was really funny, and they they played it very well because every time somebody came up there, the lady was talking about, "Oh, unless you want to be assimilated by Borg, or you want to get into this or this and that," and then they would throw the pad. I thought that was that was great. Yeah. And they delved a bit into the uh, Star Starfleet as Navy <laughs> debate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I've always said I, 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 I know Starfleet's a military. I don't care what they say. <laughs> it's a military. I know. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, it has to be. <laughs> All right. Well, any other thoughts about any of the episodes before we close it up? They've been um, super fun. <laughs> the first one of the trilogy that we watched. The, the trilogy that we watched. <laughs> I, I did chuckle when the captain was taken over by the mask and Mariner's yes. like, it's like the third time it's happened yeah. recently. And that's when she's like, stop touching mask. And then later on, when the, the people, and that's the lady who was from Eric's race, when they were trying to yeah. calm her down, and they said, has she by chance been taken over by a mask recently? <laughs> like, that's a thing. They're like, right. um... Yeah, I loved in the captain's log when she was talking about parts of the Cerritos were turned into a temple again. <laughs> And they're literally phasering off like chunks. Right. Of yeah. Right. That's hilarious. And I did laugh. I completely laughed out loud when the doctor and Shrax have that really weird Bonnie and Clyde holodeck yes. fantasy <laughs> thing that yes. they do. Yes. That was, that was awesome. phenomenal. That was phenomenal. Absolutely. I'm very it. disappointed that we did not find out how she lost her tail, though. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's yeah. got to be a good story. And every day yep. they were getting busy on the bar because the the, the the Delta shift people are like, oh, yeah, well, okay, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> that what holodecks were for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's why Jake wasn't allowed to go on the holodeck with girl. That's true. <laughs> I will say, not that we planned it, but watching those three shows in a block was really fun. It, mm. was, it was really fun. And the hour and a half and so, it all kind of fit together. Did you not watch them? The, the last two weeks, I did not. I uh, oh. yeah, I just sat down and watched them all on the block today, and I was, right. it was it was really fun to do that. Oh, I wow. can't do that. I, <laughs> you I have dedication, Keith. Yeah, I can't. I can't save it for another week. I have to see. It wakes me up at four a.m. Yeah, <laughs> we got up early. <laughs> That's right. I bet you're glad right. when it's when you're when we're in the middle of a half hour show because then you get to sleep in thirty extra minutes before you have to get up and see the show. Yeah. No. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Carry on with your closing. All right, Alan. Where can people find more of you? <laughs> I have a podcast on the ESO network. It is called Modern Musicology, and <clears throat> it is going gangbusters right now because last week we had an interview with Gina Shock, the drummer of the Go Go's, awesome. and 
we have gotten a lot of hits on that episode. So our next one comes out Monday morning, this coming Monday morning, and it will be about the albums of 19s. No, no. The next one that we're doing is Woodstock 99, the two new documentaries. Mm. So that was, a, we, we've recorded that one already. And that's, that was a hell of an episode. Um, and I've got my publishing company, CosmicPress.com. There you go. And how about you, Keith? Standard social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, primarily the ESO network groups. Yes. <laughs> I've been making up for lost time on Facebook. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and how about us, Veronica? Oh, nerdy.com. And? Monkeying Around, a podcast. Of... <laughs> I was just mouthing it along with you. I didn't want it to be on the Mouthing? Recording. Yes. Mouthing? I feel like you were whispering it along with me. I was excited. I was being enthusiastic. <laughs> it wouldn't have been noticeable except for you stopped saying it. So finish your thing. I got, I got distracted. I'm easily distracted. <laughs> Monkeying around a podcast about the monkeys. That's right. And if you're in the Atlanta area, you can. there's a few opportunities to see us performing coming up. You can see us on October the 9th at the Red Light Cafe at the Sinful Sundays Burlesque Show, uh, which is drag, uh, burlesque, puppets. We're bringing the puppets. Um, the the organizer and the host, uh, she introduced or she announced it recently as having the fil- the uh, the raunchiest puppet show you've ever seen. So now we have to live <laughs> up to that. So oh boy, wow! <laughs> so that's October the 9th at the Red Light Cafe here in Atlanta. On October the fifteenth, we'll be at the Sandy Springs Library. Uh, we don't have a time yet for that. I need to bug the person, my contact there, see if we can get a a solid time slot. It's sometime between twelve as, and four at the event. As soon as as soon as your contact <laughs> goes back to work from his post surgery. You know, right. staying at home, being bedridden, he'll he'll let you know a time. <laughs> that's right. So that's on, so on October the fifteenth, and then um, October the twenty second, we'll be at the Puck and Puppet Show, Atlanta's local puppet slam, where we uh, <laughs> we'll be doing some uh, some interesting pieces. It's an adult show, eighteen and up. And there's there's drakes and puppets, and it's a lot of fun. So if you can't keep up with all that, go to feltnerdy.com or visit our Facebook page. Either way, you get to the same place and you can uh, see what we're doing and come see us in person. Yep. Nice. You have a closing for us this week? Yes. Opportunity plus instinct equals profit. Very nice. Perfect. Good job. It was even from one of the episodes. (laughs) I know. It was. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.